Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. I am Trainer Chip Ritchie and I'm joined by my regular co-host Azul GG. What's going on Azul? How are we doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, Chip. Um, been a long weekend uh, of little sleep because I was streaming the Sao Paulo Regional Championships or doing like a restream of their stream. Um, so big shout out to them for actually having, you know, some kind of stream on um <clears throat> for sure i was receiving that all weekend and i was getting up early at like uh 7 a.m <laughs> on like <laughs> sunday which i'm not super used to so a little bit of tired from the weekend i got some sleep today though so i'm feeling good had a ton of fun watching that um and yeah how about you chip I'm doing well. Yeah, I got to tune in here and there. I saw a few of the rounds. I had some stuff going on this weekend. One of my wife's good friends actually got uh, engaged this weekend. So we had like a little engagement party with a lot of our like friends. Uh, it was a good time. And yeah, just got to hang out and uh, yeah, watch some of your stream matches. Like I said, it seems like the uh, there was no commentary for the actual Brazilian stream setup it was kind of interesting right it was just literally a webcam and it was kind of like almost them inviting other people to stream which i thought was pretty cool yeah it was literally just like a live feed of the gameplay yeah and um yeah i don't think they had any problem with anyone else just wanting to restream it and watch it i think you know, that was Tor almost the intention pedro, it felt like you know yeah for sure yeah because i think Tord and pedro and uh there were some others who were restreaming it uh tuning into the action and kind of just uh giving their own thoughts and commentary on it which is yeah very cool to see uh, to at least see a stream and then a ton of a ton of people in the community, a bunch of streamers in the community, you know, taking advantage of that and uh, getting some uh, good content for sure. So in today's episode, we've got a few things to talk about. The first thing is going to be an update to the EUIC fiasco that we discussed last weekend. Registration was really difficult, but Pokemon did something to make it sort of right, uh, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. Next, we'll talk about a cheater, potentially cheater, yes, up to you to decide, who was caught on camera at Sao Paulo Regionals, and Azul was actually kind of the main one who was like pointing it out, and your Twitter clip is kind of what uh, got people really talking about it, and uh, so we'll talk yep. about that, a potential cheater on stream who did eventually get disqualified from the event. Then we'll look at the results from Sao Paulo Regionals as well, take a look at the top decks, you know, the interesting ones. There's definitely some really interesting ones in top eight as well as in just the top 32. So the day two meta was really uh, kind of cool to see from the Brazilian players. And then we'll, of course, have everyone's favorite segment on the podcast. Guess that flavor text. Right now, Azul is up one to nothing, but <laughs> it is my time to get one right and get on the board and tie the setup here in episode four. So hopefully, fingers crossed, Azul hasn't thrown me for too much of a loop with whatever card he has picked. <laughs> and then uh, the to close out the show, we're going to be talking about the various 1Ks that have been popping up across the country uh, because it's a great way to play Pokemon and it's a great way to support your local stores and kind of just how you can properly prepare for a more local event compared to preparing for something like a regional championships. So... Yeah, I'm excited to get into this episode today, Azul, and we're going to start things off by talking about EUIC getting more registration spots. Does It It does feel like Pokemon was listening to some of the gripes of the community based on what happened last week. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so, yeah, they gave up some more registration spots. Now, it wasn't a whole ton, and there were still players left out um, of the of the registration slots. I think waves one and two were gone in 12 and 16 seconds. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know about wave three, but there was three waves of registration slots, and it was on April 1st, so there was always the potential that it was an April Fool's joke, but <laughs> it did not happen. Uh, but yeah, 50, 50 slots each wave um, throughout the day. They were spread out by, I don't know, like five or six hours. I and they announced exactly the time they... of each wave, right? They announced yeah. the time of when each thing was going to go live, which I think was one of the major gripes from the initial registration was that there was no exact announcement of like hey this is live go crazy or like even hey this will be live in x amount of hours or at x time so they kind of recognized i think the mistake there and that people just wanted to know and it, even if you don't get a spot you at least know when you have to try your best to get one right yeah i think they announced it the day before um so it would have been march 30th or 31st i forget maybe it was two days before but they were like all right april 1st There'll be three waves of registration slots opening up. Here is the times for them. And, you know, we'll let you even we'll send out a, a reminder tweet ahead of time. So they definitely listened to the uh, the complaints that so many people had. And I, I think uh, also we've seen a lot of uh, 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 Twitter accounts from, you know, people who are running some of the regionals also having like similar response and hearing the community as well, talking about, you know, letting people know ahead of time when registration will be happening for stuff like New Jersey regionals and Indiana regionals and stuff. So it seems like no one's going to be left in the dark for any of these future events, which is a big, a big deal as well, potentially. Right. And hopefully, um, hopefully the registration slots still don't go away and, you know, you know, uh, you know, 16 seconds, a minute, an hour, whatever. Um, and hopefully, I my, my, my hope would be that registration is open for at least 48 hours. I'm hoping that the cap is big enough that registration would maintain being open for like 48 hours after it opens. That would be like an ideal world, I guess, but I guess that might be kind of hard to accomplish. But it shows they listened um, a little bit. I don't think we want to give them too much credit until we see how they really handle the rest of the major events. I guess NAIC will kind of be the the big tell on if they're trying to make a big difference or if they're just going to try and put more Band-Aids on, on problems. Yeah, hopefully this is, uh, you know, I think all communication from the Pokemon company is very welcomed by the player base because we are just so used to years of zero communication. So the fact that they were able to announce a day or two in advance of like, hey, there's going to be waves of registration. Here are your opportunities. Get in there. If they had done that from the start, I think there would be less, way less complaining um, obviously the fact that the player cap still exists, it still would have inevitably sold out within seconds, you know, probably a few minutes, uh, of each wave, you know, as, assuming they do three waves and have the same amount of spots available just from the beginning. So to me, it really should make more space. They should book another venue hall. They obviously have the interest in the demand for something like that. And Obviously, you can't do that in last minute's notice, right? This is something they would have had to have chosen to do months ago, which is much harder to make that call months and months in advance, right? So I, I can understand from an organi organization standpoint how it can be tough to do that, but the demand is there. They, there really is no good reason that uh, they shouldn't make more space for more players to be able to participate in these events. Yeah, I had to assume that... They just thought the demand wouldn't be there, right? Whenever they booked this venue, they had to have assumed that the demand wouldn't be there. But I think um, it was pretty telling that it would be there when Salt Lake City happened, I think, with how big Salt Lake City Regionals was. And then we saw how Liverpool went down, where there was tons of people left out of Liverpool Regionals. Like, that capped really fast. And I think uh, same thing with the the Bilbo, Bilboa uh, special event. Um, that capped really fast too. I think registration already happened for that, and that went away in like a minute. <laughs> yeah. But they did give they did give a date and a time for that when they're like, "We're just going to be live here. 
uh, on this date at this time uh, in this location, you know, best of luck. Um, so that one capped really fast too. I think we just need to see from, you know, the next venue that gets booked for regionals or special events. It just needs to be bigger. You got to find a bigger venue. The people will show up. The players will show up. Um, and we just kind of leave it on, I guess, the the organizers to find those bigger bigger locations for the player base. Because, yeah, the, the people will show up. You just have to have a place to put them. So you missed out on registration in the initial wave because things got announced early morning Pacific Coast time and sold out by the time you were you know able to get news of it happening. What was the process like for you uh, between the three different waves of trying to secure a registration spot for EUIC? Was it like stressful? Each wave went up. You're like, you know, it's like real gamer moments trying to click through the pages <laughs> quickly, check all the boxes, enter all your info. Uh, was it like a stressful process? Not really, because I at that point, actually, even before EUIC was announced and registration happened, like if I had initially been told that there was very, very limited seats then I probably wouldn't have even tried to register or go to begin with. Um, but after I started to develop some plans with um, some other players that I can't, I plan to be staying with and everything, I was like, okay, now I'm kind of committed to going at this point. Um, and then I missed the initial wave because, yeah, it was like 7 a.m. my time when it went up. So I wasn't even up by 8 a.m., which is by the time it sold out. Um, but then for the, the the three waves, the first one, I like I was I just like, you know, set a uh, – I didn't even set an alarm for the – for the first one I set an alarm because it was up at – it was 7 a.m. my time. In the morning so that one i set an alarm for around like 6 30 got up was on the computer um but yeah i and the first wave i i didn't check one of the boxes <laughs> so i missed that i don't know if that was the difference maker overall not a real gamer moment yeah. but i didn't i just didn't see it it was the one at the top of the page there's like two on the bottom you have to check but there's one at the top of the page after you click register and i just scrolled past it immediately and went to the bottom of the page went checkbox checkbox next and i was like wait you mistake. missed this oh no I had to find that box. But on the second wave, it was pretty clean. Checkbox, checkbox, and autofill on my credit card information for the payment. And then, uh, yeah, I made it in pretty cleanly in the second time around. But I just didn't know that that box existed. So I didn't have to go through the stress of sitting around for the third wave. Thankfully, uh, a lot of people did. A lot of people missed. Um, and that kind of sucks. I think for these kind of events in general, you should definitely, if they think there is a possibility that there is going to be, you know, if they, if they don't get enough seats that they think the registration might hit the cap because there's always going to be a cap no matter what, right? Like even at events with huge halls and that don't hit a cap um, and then a ton of people show up, there's still a cap, right? You can only fit so many people in <laughs> these venues. You can't like have 4,000 people in a, in a venue hall that seats like 2,000, right? So there's always a cap, um, but there's some of the caps are s smaller than others, but they should do like, especially for like the international events, um at least throughout one day open up different waves of registration and let people know that especially for the international events even at, even at like the local regional level events so i think they should do the same thing people have to be to work or they work late shifts and they're they're going to be asleep throughout the middle of the day so there should be like three periods of time i like it, if i yeah. think there's any any potential for something to cap there should be three periods of time i think throughout a day where uh registrate like you know divvied up one third of the registration slots will open up each time and so on so yeah uh, i think yeah, that's I a good squeaking. system and i would i would like to see tournaments if there is going to be lower caps i think moving forward that is a good system for tos yeah. and for pokemon to adopt for you know their events moving forward and then yeah, uh, moving on to some shady dealings down in <laughs> brazil shady dealings caught on camera that's right a cheater potentially caught on camera in sao paulo this past weekend so as we like we said you streamed the whole event and you were kind of one of the first people to catch on to what exactly happened in this instance and i posted your 
twit Twitter, uh, sorry, your Twitch clip on the Uncommon Energy Twitter, and it seems like it went pretty viral within the Pokemon community. That clip, I think, has like 15,000 views right now, you know, a bunch of likes and stuff like that. A lot of people commenting on it and interacting with it. A lot of people had a lot of things to say. So why don't you just kind of fill us in on what the situation was on stream, you know, leading up to the supposed cheating incident and what exactly the supposed cheater did that uh, warranted their eventual disqualification from the event. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I was just streaming the event. I remember the round two. I remember they like, we, I like going into it. It was like, okay, they need to get going into the turn. It was like, all right, they need to get nine. And they actually didn't even need to take a knockout this turn. They had to take a knockout this turn or the next turn. Um, but th if they didn't do it next turn, they could have been in more trouble. There could have been plays made where I think, um, it was up against, uh, Ricardo, uh, Toddy, who actually made, who got second in the event overall. Um, they had a Mew Max in the active, and I think maybe there was two prize cards left for the, the Malamar player. Um, so maybe the Mew could have got retreated to an Orcorio. So it was a good time to just get the knockout, right? And I remember when I initially saw them look at their hand, I was like, okay, I don't think they have it. They have a Drizzile, and they had well, made a mistake also, earlier with a... I just want to clarify, too. It was like also in turns, right? So time had been yeah, called. Yeah. Ricardo had won game one, and then yeah. the Malamar player, um, who is the supposed cheater, was going to be turn one of time. So... And yeah, the so way that the Pokemon turn. TCG works in best of three 50 minutes, it goes to time plus three turns. And then at the end of three turns, if there is no winner and someone won game number one, the person who won game number one is declared the winner of the match, right? So basically yeah. this Malamar player is playing for either I win this game and we tie, or if I don't finish the game in time, or if I have somehow lost uh, which I don't actually think it was possible for Ricardo to have taken enough prizes to win uh, based on the scenario. So basically, in this situation, the only chance that the Malamar player had was to try to win that game and get a tie for the match. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It could end up with a tie or Ricardo winning. There was like, wasn't like a different, what's it called? But yeah, I initially noticed in their hand, I was like, because they had missequenced earlier and put a Drizzile in play when they shouldn't have. Now they had no Sobbles for Drizzile. So when they initially looked at their hand, I was like, oh, there's a Drizzile in their hand. They're getting punished, right? That was my initial thought. Uh, and then they... Uh, went through their hand and counted out and they attacked and they played their whole hand down and they hit for nine rapid strike cards. And I was like, wasn't there a, a Drizzile in the hand there? And then I thought nothing of it after that. I let it, you know, they got their win initially. And then someone in my chat was like, no, I think that was a Drizzile. So we went back and rewatched the, the the turn. And yeah, there was a Drizzile in those nine cards and they needed nine rapid strike cards to get the knockout there. And they only had nine cards in hand. One of them was a Drizzile. And not with just that, not with just that, the fact that Drizzile is not a rapid strike card and you needed nine of them, but the, the way they played out their hand and the way they hesitated and kind of just, and I explained it way better in the clip. It's when I back went back and rewatched it, I noticed all of these things about how they kind of played out the hand and thought about the hand and looked at their hand and how they just shifted their their cards around in their hand. It definitely very much looks like the the player did it intentionally, which is cheating. Um, after looking back on it, I definitely think that they cheated and did it uh, on purpose. And um, I don't think there's really any two ways around it. They did get DQ'd from the event. Um, we don't know for sure it was for that, but it definitely seems you know fairly likely. Yeah, they were DQ'd two rounds after the event happened, and then so the result of the match was that uh, it was one round, one round. It was in the next round, I think. Well, no, because I think they got DQ'd at because uh, the picture I saw said that their record was four and two disqualified, uh, and oh, this really? happened when they were four and zero. Oh. I'm pretty sure that's what I remembered seeing, but um, 
Maybe not. That might have been possible. But I, uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure you, with the way that the software works, I'm pretty sure because I think they gave Ricardo the win instead of a tie, like it was initially recorded. Uh, but the way their software works, I think they can only go back one round. Right. To give someone change someone's record. So it would have had to have been the next round. Yeah, I'm gonna try to find the picture really quickly uh, to verify. But regardless, it does. You know, this person did get disqualified from the event inevitably, and we don't know without. A, shadow of a doubt that it was because of this but it makes sense right it seems like yeah. that is what it would be yeah okay so this picture of the player's name maybe they went back and gave ricardo the win because it was impossible yeah, so for their opponent to have one and then later happened? on so so they did get disqualified during round six or at the end of round six somewhere in there because their name crossed out on the arcanine labs um pairings is in at the sorry at the end of round six right their record is shown as four and two so this happened when they were four and oh this incident so what i what could have happened is oh this event you know went down on the stream and they see that this should have been a win for ricardo so they fix it right away because that's an easy fix they see that uh the player who cheated or you know allegedly cheated you know, move these cards around in this way. It looks pretty shady. So we'll maybe keep our eye on this player. Um, and then potentially, so they fix the round for Ricardo for the opponent uh, in round six or round five. And then yeah. the next round, they're just kind of keeping their eye on this player. And maybe something else happened that led oh. them to believe that they could have been cheating. And that at that point, a disqualification was given. But I, this is all speculation, of course. It, w- it would feel weird for them to be disqualified around after the supposed cheating event happened because then if you think they, they cheated, you're else. just... Yeah, if you if you think they cheated, you should disqualify them on the spot. You shouldn't let them play one more round and then, then be like, okay, yeah, we'll disqualify you from the event, right? Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought I just assumed it was that round. I didn't know it was a round later because, that yeah, that, that is weird. So, yeah, it does sound like they corrected... The, the match result and we're like oh ricardo wins here because you made an illegal action um that's a game loss for you at the very least but then they continue to let him play another round after that or even two rounds potentially you know one more round after that um which so then, it might have been like what we saw that. on stream isn't enough to say okay you're for sure cheating but we're gonna keep our eyes on you and then something happened that led them to believe that the player was doing something to try to gain an unfair advantage who knows for sure though but yeah. what, one thing you, you mentioned something just then about, you know, the game state being broken, right? I think it is definitely worth clarifying the difference between cheating and making a gameplay error because gameplay errors happen all the time. I've made gameplay mistakes before. You've made gameplay mistakes before. It is just the nature of playing a paper card game, you know, especially when you're playing in these tournaments, you know, high, you know, you're thinking through so many things every single turn. It's easy to miss a step somewhere or misremember exactly how a card interaction works. I remember one of the examples for me was at a regionals. One time I was playing a, um, the Zerkatree GX with rumbling wires. It deals a hundred damage and then you mill the top card of your opponent's deck. It wasn't a card that was meant to be attacked with often in my deck, but I had it in there (laughs) as a tech for certain situations and it came up and I was attacking with it. And my opponent and I both forgot to mill the top card of my opponent's deck. That is a gameplay error. That is not me cheating by not milling the top card. That is us both 
misremembering. It is on me as the player more than anything, but we realized it. We called a judge over. They fixed the situation, and the game went on, and we both got a warning because we failed to maintain. Both of us got a warning because we failed to maintain the game state. It's on both players. Um, yeah. And there is definitely a difference between something like that and then setting your cards out in a way as to hide the Drizzile back there to make it seem like it's a rapid strike card, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of people, and for anyone out there who is like one of those people, you know, yeah, and these they come up all the time where people, someone sees a mistake and they're like, oh my gosh, they're cheating. If you think they're cheating, then, I mean, you think they should probably be banned, right? All, for the most part, if someone's actually cheating, they probably should be banned from the card game, right? And if you're saying you've never made a gameplay error, well, then you're lying to yourself. <laughs> um, so if you think everyone who makes a gameplay error is a cheater and that cheaters should be banned, then you should ban yourself from the card game and never play again. So... Everyone makes mistakes. There's definitely a difference between cheating and making a mistake. Um, I think it's very important to understand that and be understanding when you see something that happens on stream or in a game that they're not definitely trying to do something with malicious intent. They just forgot to mill the top card when they attacked with their circuitry, right? Yeah, exactly. These things happen. It's part, I mean, uh, it's it's just kind of the nature of playing with paper cards. Um you know, the mistakes will happen. We are humans, right? There's only, we're, we're yep. not perfect beings by any means. Uh, <laughs> one thing I also do want to mention before we move on from this topic is I saw a lot of kind of negative attitude on Twitter from a lot of players about just Brazilian players in general. Things saying that, oh, Latin American players are always cheating and Brazilian players are always cheating. And like, oh, big surprise, a Brazil was, or a cheater was caught down in Brazil. And that stuff is just ridiculous because cheaters exist everywhere. <laughs> I mean, there was literally yeah. someone disqualified <laughs> from Salt Lake City. Now, we don't know if that person was necessarily cheating or not. Um, but, you know, cheaters have been caught many times in North America. Cheaters have been caught many times in Europe. It, has ha it happens all over the world. So the sentiment of all uh, Brazilian players are cheaters is definitely something that we wanted to speak against because that is just yeah. not an okay way for people to go about things and think about things because it is far from the truth. While there are surely plenty of people who have cheated in Brazil, there are just as many who have cheated in other parts of the world. It is just kind of how it is right yeah just a definitely an unnecessary uh negative mindset to have same thing with just like seeing someone make a gameplay or just assuming they're cheating and then yeah. starting a witch hunt and everything be like you know um yeah just just no no need for that in the uh in the pokemon community for sure so enough of the negativeness happening in sao paulo <laughs> you know we've dealt with the shady dealings on stream speaking of shady dealings on stream though the first place Arceus Intellion deck definitely used plenty of shady dealings, but the legal versions, Bruno Sermon won Sao Paulo Regionals with Arceus Intellion and a really straightforward and consistent list, I'd say, Azul. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's really funny to kind of see it. This is what I mentioned a couple times about the deck already, is that, like, it's kind of like the way Arceus Intellion has developed, or Arceus in general, you know, it started out with, Duraludon Arceus, and then we had like um, Arceus Birds, and then mm -hmm. we had Arceus Inteleon, but then I feel like it, it felt like it moved past Arceus Inteleon a little bit, and we're getting to the Arceus Moltres, Arceus with Crobat VMAX, Arceus with Zapdos, but the Bruno kind of sticking with one of the classics, I feel like, and actually one of the one of the more popular ways to play Arceus in Japan, I think, as well, as it has been for a while, is just Arceus Inteleon. Um, and yeah, their list was super straightforward, super consistent, very good player as well. They, this is their back-to-back Sao Paulo regional champion. Uh, they also got second in the Players' Cup as well. Yeah, Not with Arceus Intellion, but with the uh, with Spiritomb, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, very, very good player, obviously, playing a very 
consistent, straightforward list with uh, just enough options to make sure, you know, they can win games. So it was really cool to see them to take the dub, you know, just like, um, and I think now we've seen all four regional championships be won by players um, who have won, you know, major events in the past, right? Yes. Every every person who won a regional championship in these last four weeks have all won major events in the past. Past. So once again, still proving that the, uh, you know, the skill is very much intact in the game for sure. Definitely. And I feel like that was a complaint of the format coming into this regionals block we just had, which by the way, what a crazy few weeks we've had, right? We had Brisbane regionals, <laughs> Salt Lake City regionals, Liverpool regionals, then Sao Paulo, back to back to back to back. Like that doesn't happen very often, even, you know, in previous seasons and stuff like that so it was definitely yeah. very cool to see and also each region got a regional championships right around the same time uh so i think that was also pretty cool that everyone had an opportunity to get back into official competitive pokemon play for the first time in a couple of years yeah really cool i'm sure they did that on purpose too just like four weeks in a row each region got a regional so it's definitely cool to see um not as much development across the meta as in general as i thought there would be there was a lot of cool decks um two of them that were not as cool <laughs> where there was two mu v maxes one second place one top four um from ricardo and uh fabrizio fabrizio top four ricardo got second uh losing to bruno um and there were a couple different couple different things going on in the list both only played three cramomatic so cutting back on the crams over the rotom phones um initially and then uh Fabrizio played the tower of darkness ricardo sticking with the more traditional uh rose tower and the the old cemetery um and then uh Fabrizio also had a judge in there in their list as well which is pretty cool the rest of, besides that i mean it's kind of mu v max but those are kind of the standout cards um Anything else really draw your eye, uh, draw your eye to those lists, Chip? Not really. I mean, I don't think either player was playing basic energy, so it's just, just still proving to the the basic energy stands out there that the way to play Mew VMAX really does feel like it is just this all special energy version. You know, if you're still playing fog crystals and basic psychics you, you need to move on <laughs> at this point uh the top four list having judge i think was really interesting i've actually been playing marnie in my mew list for the last few weeks and i've really liked having that option because it does a few things like sometimes if you just have a clogged up hand you know being able to have that out to marnie gives you a chance to refresh your hand it also gives you a draw support option whenever your opponent has path to the peak in play so it gives you a card you can play that sees you more cards more opportunities to find stadiums or even if you don't find a stadium it can just find you a switcher and energy something you need to at least attack that turn and it also can be really strong against the arceus intellion decks who try to take advantage of the fact that marnie is not played in mu decks or disruption is not played in mu decks because they just try to build these massive hands that they can always yeah. have a response to whatever you're possibly going to do so i don't know about playing judge over marnie um yeah you know, shuffle draw versus just playing the marnie itself but i do like the inclusion uh from fabrizio to have an additional like a tr more traditional draw or disruption supporter in the list yeah no, no no i definitely like the i like the idea of having something uh for sure something that i've kind of toyed around with because like you look at all the like the the baby multis and telion decks and they're always sitting on this massive hand of like eight cards when yeah. they're like building up plays to play after play turn into turn so if you just get to throw a, a judge armani at them it might work but also it might not but you may as well have like a chance right you're not gonna have their active anyways you may as well disrupt your opponent's hand but i do think i do think marnie is better than i could not come up with a single reason why judge would be better than marnie but i came up with multiple reasons why marnie would be better than judge so i would recommend if you're gonna you know try one of those out yourself i would say you know probably go with the marnie 
Uh, maybe Fabrizio has some reason for it, but I haven't seen anything from them. So if they if they want to come out and tell us why the judge is better than the Marnie, then I'm definitely down to listen and and uh, give my own judgment on it then. But I would definitely go with the Marnie for sure. And then top four. So we've got the first place Arceus Intellian, second place Mu V Max. One top four player was Mu V Max, and then the other one was a Jolteon, which maybe is a little bit of a surprise after seeing Rapid Strike Urshifu just win the Liverpool Regional Championships. Uh, this uh, Leonardo Lari had no fear, though, was not worried about playing against Rapid Strike Urshifu, said, you know what, Jolteon is the pick for me, and they ended <laughs> up getting top four with it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely would have been a little bit more scared to play Jolteon. Like, I think that I don't think I think it's unfavored against Mew. Like, I think it was already like 50-50, and then we got the new the new set. I'm, the name of the set. What is the name of the newest set that we just got? Uh, Brilliant Stars. Brilliant Stars. So we got like DTE <laughs> um, and and stuff like that. So like Mew got buffed, and Jolteon really didn't gain anything. Um, so you kind of have the same Mew matchup of kind of uh, Stadium and Prey. But I feel like the Arceus matchup is just good for Jolteon. Like, I think you can either. Just pick off Sobbles because, like, keep calling isn't something that's really on the list of great options for Arceus. So they can never establish like a ton of shady dealings um, to set up on one board. So it's really easy for a Jolteon, I think, to just like pick off and completely limit the shady dealing options in that matchup. And then uh, Arceus doesn't really have gr any great options to want to KO a Jolteon. So your Cheryl's are always uh, available as really good healing cards. And especially if you can retreat between two Jolteon V Maxes and take a hit on each. And then Cheryl heal them after you've dealt with their Sobble so they can't go find the boss to chase your other Jolteon. Like, I feel like the matchup is just pretty solid for Jolteon overall. Um, so the yeah, I'd, I would have been a little bit scared to play it this week after uh, the Urshifu did do well at um, uh, did do well at Liverpool. Um, but it, they probably dodged him. There wasn't a ton of them. There was definitely more than there has been. Um, but then if you're just hitting Arceus all day, you're going to be in a pretty good spot, which was like the overall most popular deck in day two, I think. Not like one specific Arceus build. Me was the most popular as far as that goes, but... All the Arceus decks combined, that was definitely the most popular, I think, for sure. Yeah, we don't have the list from Leonardo just yet, so we don't know if there's something spicy in there that maybe gave them an edge in the Mew matchup, but like Azul yep. said, it, it kind of is probably just the four path and pray. And honestly, in the meta right now, there is not that much path. Like, all the Arceus decks are playing two-ish, it feels like. Or if they're playing, like, the Ian Rob nicholas Moffat deck, they're not playing path at all. They're playing yeah. uh, training courts, right? So... If there's less path to the peak in play, then maybe the Mew VMAX decks feel like they can cut down on their stadiums a little bit. And if Mew VMAXs are cutting down on their stadiums, then maybe there's more opportunities for Jolteon to just cheese wins with the path to the peak. So that could be the situation that Leonardo found themselves in playing against a lot of the Mews that did not come prepped with three or four stadiums and just kind of punish them with the paths. So that's definitely entirely possible. Yeah, it's possible. That's the that's the way it that's the way it went. And speaking of, you know, Ian's and Nick's deck from Salt Lake City. There was two of those um, similar, very similar to those builds played uh, that made top eight. Uh, we got, uh, I believe, Pedro's list, yeah, uh, but we do not have Paulo's list. It could be, for all we know, the exact same 60, but uh, uh, the only real difference, and, and that, that that is the Arceus and Teleon, Zapdos V, Maltrace V, and two baby Maltrace. So you just kind of have like a wide array of attackers to kind of deal with the meta and just kind of, if you draw well and draw into the cards, you know, sequence it right to give yourself the best odds to try to draw into everything. You kind of always come out ahead in the prize race against like the Arceus decks and the Mu V max. Actually, both of these decks did lose to Mu V max in top eight. They're not as consistent as Mu V max or as explosive. So Mu V max is still about a 50, 50 in the matchup, but you definitely have a lot of options with the decks for sure. Um, so yeah, we don't have Paulo's list, but Pedro did have the B barrel on there, which was cool to see. Yeah, kind of the the mix 
the it was almost like a mix of like Xander Perot's top eight Salt Lake City deck, you know, Xander and Rahul Reddy and John Ng and then the the group that played that deck, and then Ian yep. Robin, Nick Moffitt's deck. Um, you know, kind of leaning more towards Ian and Nick's, I would say. Just the inclusion of Bibrell and Arceus. I've heard some people saying that they just think Bibrell is the way to play Arceus, that they don't even like playing Intellian with it. Uh, obviously Intellian did just win this tournament, so it is <laughs> obviously still good. But I think that, you know, not playing Intellian and favoring Bibarel is definitely an option in there. Um, was uh, a player in top eight with an Arceus deck that did not play any Intellian, and that is Dalton, who made top eight with Arceus Urshifu, no Intellian, but Bibarel was the draw support option and also had four battle VIP pass. And then the attacking lines besides Arceus were a 2-1 Urshifu VMAX and a 1-1 Crobat VMAX, which is super interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. So they got the Urshifu in there, of course, for the mirror match. I think they did end up losing to Bruno. Uh, Bruno did include a Dunsparce in their list. And I guess the one the, the one interesting card in Bruno's list, uh, not to say their deck wasn't good, wasn't super interesting, kind of vanilla, very vanilla <laughs> Arceus V-Star Intellion. But they did have that Collapse Stadium there, which can be cool to uh, limit your opponent's options of, of what kind of what Arceus they can kind of pick on, either get rid of a V or a damage V-Star or something like that. Uh, but they did have the Dunsparce in there, and they did manage to take down... Um, uh <clears throat> take down dalton but yeah they had the, the 2-1 urshifu and they had the 1-1 crobat so they had like i think with just the urshifu they definitely would have been struggling uh just like arceus urshifu would have been struggling against the muse but the 1-1 crobat gives you like some more depth to the matchup for sure the crobat v max um i was actually testing out an arceus crobat v max deck pre-salt lake city i felt like the Mew matchup wasn't quite there despite having it but you definitely need something um and it definitely makes it a lot harder for the Mew deck to kind of uh kind of deal with you can't like play as easily into like your quad fusion strike energy play because then if they have the crobat to follow up and you're attacking with a mu v max that can make things awkward um yeah it just gives you something else in the matchup for sure and of course they did have the good old uh path and prey in there as well so <laughs> if the crobat didn't stick or a piece was prized they could always just go path marnie and hope you kind of crumbles but very cool deck kind of tackled the two top decks in the format and uh tried to do it a little bit differently with the b barrel plus battle vip pass engine yeah i'm excited to play with this deck i haven't gotten to mess around with it quite yet but big props to dalton who i you know if it wasn't for this last top eight deck i would definitely say came up with the most unique deck for top eight but the most unique deck that made top eight is without a doubt the whimsicott arceus whimsicott v star very cool card and i think a lot of people when they have seen this card recognize like okay yeah this is pretty good you know the cards that have been similar to it in the past like giratina ex have been good at times and it was almost one of those cards that it felt like it was going to have its time at some point. So I guess the question as well is, is like, was this Whimsicott's time or was this tournament run just kind of a little one-off fluke? Maybe people didn't exactly know how to play against a deck like this. I think that is always a little part of the success of some decks like this, or even something like a like Jolteon doing well, um, especially when you have a lot of players, you know, not prepping against it, um, especially now that the, the their decks have developed a little bit. Um, so yeah, even so, especially something like this though, the Whimsicott Arceus, um, a lot of your, not a lot of your wins, but um, a lot of situations, your opponent's just not going to know how to play 100% properly. They just don't know your, what your deck probably plays or even some of the attacks. Like the Whimsicott V actually has like two pretty uh, interesting attacks. We actually caught the Whimsicott on stream in the last round of day two I, or day one, I want to say. Um, and then the Whimsicott V was actually putting in work 
um, with some pretty weird situations with the with a couple of attacks. So there's like, yeah, when your opponent doesn't quite know what's going on, uh, you're definitely going to get an advantage there. Um, the deck does seem solid, though. I think you have... I think your Mew VMAX matchup seems really good if you get off the Whimsicott and start attacking. You have a ton of energy disruption from the fans and the Crushing Hammers to even playing the Yvetal. I think the biggest thing is just like, how good is your matchup up against other Arceus decks? And if we see more people go back to kind of that more vanilla build of Arceus and Teleon, I think that one's that's where that the, the Whimsicott deck will definitely struggle against something that's so straightforward and consistent. Um, you know, you throwing out these cheesy attacks and these Crushing Hammers and stuff like that, is it going to be as effective as against stuff like that? But against Mew VMAX and some of these more fragile Arceus builds, a hammerheads here or there is a lot bigger of a deal and i think it can definitely hang with those kind of arceus builds it especially can definitely seems to be able to handle mew pretty fine yeah i think definitely something to we need to remember to do as well that i should have done when we first started talking about this deck is reading the cards because not everyone is going to necessarily know <laughs> what the heck whimsicott v star does so it's trick wind attack deals 160 damage for a Psychic and two Colorless, and then during your opponent's next turn, they can't play any Pokemon Tool or Special Energy cards from their hand. So obviously, with the most popular way to play Mew VMAX being the all-Special Energy variant, if you're playing all the Energy Hate like Azul mentioned, locking them out of Attaching Energy can just win you the game. And its V-Star power is actually super strong, and we actually saw the game that you watched on stream, the V-Star yeah. power attack came in and actually won the player the game, Fluffball Star for a Psychic Energy. It deals 60 damage to one of your opponent's Pokemon for each energy attached to this Pokemon. And Double Turbo Energy counts as two energy attached. And I think in the instance where... Uh, the game you were watching, the player won by knocking out a Crobat VMAX and did like 360 <laughs> damage to it or something. There was so many energy on that Whimsicott, right? Yeah, they just started loading him up, and I didn't I didn't see or know what was going on at first. Um, and then the Yvetal got knocked out, and then they went Raihan and put another energy on it. They had six of them on there, two DTs, two basic psychics, and then they just went one-hit KO the Crobat on the Crobat VMAX on the bench. I think they only needed two prize cards, but because it was a VMAX, they needed that extra energy. Um, then they knocked out the Crobat VMAX, and then they, they secured the game that way. I didn't see it coming at all, and then it happened. I was like, oh, wait, that is a thing. <laughs> of course, it probably doesn't happen too often. There is Arceus in here as well. Um, yeah, so probably, probably using use... that Star Birth yeah. more often than not. And then there was B-Barrel in here as well. The only other Pokemon in here was a 2-2 B-Barrel line for kind of the draw engine, and then one Yvetal that uh, with that cry of destruction for the double colorless to discard three special energy from your opponent's Pokemon. So definitely for the Mew matchup there, getting rid of those Fusion Strike energy. So there were some other interesting decks as well in day two. First off, before we move on, I guess big congrats as well to all of the top eight players. Some super interesting decks and yep. big congrats as well to Bruno for winning the thing. Um, but yeah, interesting decks in day two. Ninth place was an Urshifu box. I know you were really excited about this deck because it kind of looks like a Sylveon VMAX deck. But it doesn't play Sylveon VMAX. It plays all the other stuff that normally goes in Sylveon. All the other different types. It's like a rainbow deck, but no Sylveon. Yeah, it had. It literally, I literally just assumed they played Sylveon at first. And someone in my chat, I think, had mentioned that they played Arceus, but they didn't end up playing Arceus unless it was in there and they never got it out in the two games or three games they played. But yeah, Urshifu V Max, Ditto, Moltres V, Leafeon V, and V Star, uh, Octillery. So it literally looked like it was ready to be played with. Um, Sylveon, but then there was just no Sylveon, which kind of makes sense because I don't think Sylveon really hits anything super relevant right now. Urshifu is there, but it's not popular enough to the point where I think you need to be countering it. I think with Urshifu, if you're a little bit more consistent and aggressive build like this, you can beat other Urshifu decks just by simply taking away all their Sobbles and just sniping all those things off the board. Um, you don't need to be able to one-hit KO their VMAXs. So uh, it was a really interesting deck. They ended up ninth place. 
Um, and uh, yeah, no Sylveon, but basically was a Sylveon deck, it seemed like. Um, we had some other familiar faces in the top 32, two Ice Riders and then two Gengars. What do you think, Chip? You think these decks can still kick it with the top dogs or are they kind of on their way out? I mean, I think Gengar is still fine. It, to me, Gengar is definitely the least consistent of the popular decks. And so there, I think, will just inevitably be in this format players who make top 32 and maybe sometimes even top eight if they draw hot enough throughout the day you know to make a deep run in any tournament it's got to be your day you got to be hitting the right cards at the right time you know there's this is a game of variance and if the variance is on your side on any given day if you're riding the wave you're going to make a deep run and gengar is extremely powerful when it sets up but that is the the asterisk next to Gengar. It just sets up less consistently than the other best decks. So you will lose games that you would normally be favored to win just because of your poor setup. So that's why I think yeah. a lot of players steer away from Gengar, but it's definitely got its fans, and those players are going to keep playing it. And just because, you know, if you're riding the wave and making it happen, you can <laughs> still definitely make a deep run with the deck, even though it's uh, probably a little, little less consistent than some of the other choices. Yeah, I agree. And I almost kind of feel the same. I think Ice Rider's main problem is, is kind of like the same thing. Not not with inconsistencies, but like you're so reliant on your Ice Rider just not getting KO'd. But then I think one of the biggest things almost is just like when you go second against Arceus, they can just go turn two, choice belt, boss KO your uh, Ice Rider V, which they can't, the Arceus can't really do that against other Arceus because it has that 220. Uh, if you play the Zigzagoon, you can pull it off, but now you need like an extra piece. Right. And that's like a pretty it's big deal hit, when, you're yeah. using, when you're using Starbirth. So, um, yeah, I just feel like both those decks, they're like solid. And I feel like you can do well with both of them, the Gengar and the Ice Rider. But I feel like in general, both of them come up a little bit short, like kind of too often. And then other interesting decks in the top 32. We had an Arceus Duraludon in there in the top 16. I think that's a deck that a lot of people had kind of written off at this point in the format. It was still pretty popular that first weekend of regionals. It showed up a little bit in Salt Lake City, but was pretty much nowhere to be seen in Liverpool. It really feels like even in online tournaments, people aren't playing it quite as much. Uh, but Joao is a player who made top 16 with it, which is uh, pretty cool. You know, that's an another little deck to pop back up in there. And then also a Malamar getting top 32, which we were really high on that deck going into this weekend. We both pegged it as a, a deck that could do really well. You know, it just came off of a second place finish in Liverpool as well as another top eight where Joe Bernard went 9-0 and with the deck. I do still think Malamar is really good, but it is a little puzzling to me why it didn't do a little bit better at this event. What are your thoughts as a little... Yeah, and it's definitely one of those decks where uh, I think it was like the second most popular deck in in day two at Liverpool as well. Um, of course, yeah. Arceus variants is more popular, but if you break down the Arceus decks, Malamar was the second most popular deck in day two. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where it's one of those decks that I think it is still really, really good. Maybe there was some Malamar hate, and Diego was on the winning in uh, and lost the winning in to Ian uh, Fukuda, and Fukuda is the one with the the, the Sylveon VMAX, not Sylveon VMAX, <laughs> Urshifu box deck, um, who got ninth. So if Diego had won that game, um, you know, they would have been in top eight. Uh, I think it's maybe just one of those decks where it's like, it'll have its its tournaments now and then, but maybe it's just kind of like, maybe it's just not like, maybe in, in Brazil, they just don't like playing Malamar. I don't know. Maybe there's some stigma around Malamar where everyone there thinks it's bad or something, right? I, mean, I think it's taken a little while for it to catch on. 
everywhere else in the world. So maybe they just haven't caught on to liking that much. Maybe there's some Malamar hate going on as well. I think there is another Arcus Duraldon in top 32. One of them did make top 16. And I did hear about someone playing Arcus Duraldon, who I'm pretty sure made day two, who was playing like three Avery. Um, and that's, of course, a very good card against Malamar. I actually expected to see more Avery in some of the Arcus Intellions, but I'm pretty sure pretty much no one played it. We did see the the collapsed stadium from Bruno and both those cards are very, very good against Malamar. I thought we we're going to see a little bit more Arceus and Teleon playing the Avery as a card that I've been kind of theorizing in the deck for the Malamar matchup. But I mean, if Malamar's not going to show up, there's definitely no reason to play it. And Malamar did not really show up at this event. Uh, and I don't really think like anything changed to the point where uh, it's a bad deck. Maybe some of them struggled with the Urshifus. I could see that. And yeah. no one was really bringing that mana fee, which I think you should also be bringing. I think we mentioned that last week. Yeah. Um, if you're going to play Malamar, play the mana fee. <laughs> yeah. And right. maybe that's why it struggled. Yeah, Dalton actually, who played the Arceus Urshifu deck in top eight, was playing Avery. So against yeah. Rapid Strike Malamar, if you can just go Avery plus G-Max Rapid Flow in a turn, like that is <laughs> insane. Like That just destroys Malamar. There's nothing they can do about that. <laughs> yeah, they're cooked after that one. Yeah. So yeah, stuff like that. If there's enough, if enough, if enough decks, and of course Malamar doesn't like destroy the other Arceus variants. They're still pretty close, slightly favored maybe, and against Mew, it's still a pretty close matchup. And there's a little bit more inconsistencies with the Malamar deck sometimes in those two as well. So, um, yeah, maybe there was a little bit too much Malamar hate just from just enough decks to kind of keep them out of the day too. And then one last interesting deck that made top 32, one of your favorites, Azul Leafeon VMAX. <laughs> Come on, you, no. know, you know you love it. Nope. <laughs> um, I mean, that might just be their deck that they like playing leafy on v max is not good i don't care that it made day two it's back congrats, guys. To, them for, congrats to them for making day two of course and uh you know you can play any deck you want but it doesn't make it good leafy on v max is still uh rubbish <laughs> i will say i i feel like leafy on saw it was really popular for a while but then it saw a pretty steep decline in play after fusion strike came out you know it was pretty popular during the evolving yep. skies format but it just has an abysmal mew matchup so maybe it's this player good. was like you know what there's less mews running around than there ever has been it feels like so maybe it's my time to play this deck once again and in theory it probably does okay against most of the arceus decks like you can one hit yeah. ko arceus v star pretty reasonably with your tool scrapper right getting rid of those big charms uh, arceus yeah. v star does have two retreat um, you've got your Intellians to get the extra damage out there. The Leafeon V-Star has one of the most powerful V-Star powers, so you've kind of got that ability built in there as well to give you that, you know, research plus gust effect potentially, right? So I think there's... I, I'm not as quite uh, down on the deck as Azul <laughs> maybe, but it, it's definitely not something I would choose myself, but it maybe if you like <laughs> Leafeon V-Max, now might be the best time for you to be playing it. If you're not a yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I think the Arceus match is pretty good, but besides that, it's definitely in a tough spot. Um, so I think that's all that we have on the, the Sao Paulo Regionals. Is there anything else you want to mention, Jim? No, no, it was big congrats to Bruno on the win for sure. Uh, lots went down this weekend with all the, the allegations and stuff, players getting disqualified, but in the end, Bruno takes away the win. So huge congrats to Bruno. All right, yeah. And then let's move on to guess that flavor text. Everyone's, everyone's favorite. <laughs> everyone's favorite segment. So it's my week or my turn this week to give Chip a flavor text. I'm currently up 1-0, but this is Chip's week to even it up. This is Here week we four. Uh, this is Chip's, Chip's week to even it up. I'm not technically ahead yet. Um, so let's see if Chip can get it. All right, you ready, Chip? I'm so ready. 
<clears throat> its singing voice is its chief weapon in battle. This Pokemon's trainer must prioritize the daily maintenance of its throat at all costs. Okay, this is an easy, easy, easy Pokemon. Like, come on, you should have given me at least a little bit of a... I think Azul just wanted me to... <laughs> you know get back to even he felt a little bad that he got the early lead and now it'll be an even playing field moving forward to next week you know there's only one pokemon i can that i really think of when it comes to a singing voice oh wait now i'm psyching myself out hang on i was gonna go for sure the singing bird pokemon chatot but there's another really popular pokemon out there right now meloetta that also has a lot to do with singing but I don't think Meloetta would quite have uh, a Pokedex entry like that because, you know, that talked about the trainer keeping track of the Pokemon's voice. And, and Meloetta is a mythical Pokemon. We don't talk about the trainers with mythical Pokemon. It's definitely just Chatot. Locking it in. Chatot, final answer. What we got, Azul? Nope. It, oh. is, pre it is Primarina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is not a Chatot. No, definitely not. I don't even know what Primarina is. You look at it, and I'm not sure. It looks like a like a weasel, an underwater like weasel. It's or like something. a seal. It's like a seal. Oh, yeah, but it looks kind of like a. It looks weaselly if you look at but it. But it's like, a seal. Okay, it's a seal. I can see the seal now. Are, aren't it's seals just on. really sea weasels? For the with the name, it makes sense. That makes sense. Seal, seal, seal weasel, weasel. Maybe that's the origin of the name, and we just realized it ourselves. Maybe <laughs> seal weasels. All right. Well, those are just weasels. I went really confident into that with Chatot, and yeah. I mean that was solid. I didn't even think about Chatot until you said. It. I was like, oh, that does kind of make sense. Uh, I don't think Meloetta sings, but maybe it makes music. So I don't know. It's a good Dude, thing you steered away I don't from Meloetta. I, I got a study or something this week. <laughs> <laughs> I got two weeks, okay, and I got to give you a hard one next week. All right, go for it. Dang it, man. Dang it. All right, but moving on, um, the <clears throat> next thing we're going to talk about is uh, just kind of local tournaments, and specifically a lot of 1K tournaments popping up, 2Ks, whatever, um, these bigger kind of local tournaments that are kind of taking the place of League Cups, it feels like right now. I know a lot of League Cups used to kind of sync together with 1K tournaments that stores would have, so they'd make their League Cups 1Ks as, as well. Um, but now we're seeing those kind of independent of official Pokemon tournaments, a ton of, again, a ridiculous amount of 1Ks, like... On Twitter, every day I'm seeing like, or over the weekend, you know, this is what I played in my 1K, top eight in my 1K, won my 1K, got the finals in my 1K. Like there's so many 1Ks going on, which is great to see a lot of, um, it gives like a, a players a good reason, especially the more competitive players, you know, get out there and go to their local local game shops and, and play in some of these tournaments. Um, what do you think, Chip? Are you a big fan of the, the 1Ks? I know you've been participating in quite a few yourself. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, I've actually just got, been kind of playing in more local tournaments. The only 1K I've really played in um, okay. recently was the Full Grip Games one uh, for the at the very start of the rotation, right, that you and I played in the finals of that one, um, which we don't have to go into detail about what happened in that, but <laughs> Azul did win. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the 1Ks because it does a few things. It, it gives local players a competitive way to play pokemon because a lot of stores you know even through the pandemic without official events a lot of stores will still have a little pokemon night at their local store and a lot of players have picked up pokemon over the last couple of years and have never had an opportunity to really play it in a competitive setting maybe you know on your pokemon night there's like a little eight man running you know just eight players playing for you know a few packs here and there but putting some prizing on the line 
putting some cash up top is definitely something that's going to get a lot of people traveling to your event from, you know, across your state or even outside of your state a lot of times. And it's a great way for newer players to get a competitive experience. And it's a great way for just players in general to support their local game stores, which I'm always a huge fan of. Any way that players can support their local game stores, I think is a great thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Really good to see. And I think there's like a, a besides, you know, all that great stuff, there's also definitely, definitely a little bit different of a way you can prepare or even not prepare for some of these more local events. You can go into it with the mindset of trying a new deck or testing out a new build um, or just kind of picking up the deck you last played or your kind of favorite deck you want to play and just going with that and not really being, I guess, too serious about your testing and preparation going to the event, which I definitely think is just fine. You don't have to like, overly think about it i don't think you have to make it overly complicated and uh past that you can sometimes pick up on some you know some local trends maybe everyone's a little uh, quite a few mew haters maybe everyone plays mew in the area you can make some you can make some adjustments like that like we kind of talked a little bit about um uh you know playing leafeon at Brazil, the brazilian regionals less people playing mew maybe i can you know take the leafeon there same thing with some of these more these smaller local events you know sometimes there's not going to be very many of a certain top deck that you just don't need to really have to go out of your way to beat and you can still try and be very much trying to win the tournament but you can even get like kind of a leg up on the competition and then go with just like a straightforward urshifu vmax deck uh if you expect basically no mew to show up or something like that yeah and i would say prepping for a 50 to 100 player tournament versus prepping for uh six, seven, eight hundred person regionals is a vastly different process. And it's honestly, if you play in the area often enough, like if you play at this local store on a weekly basis, it's probably way easier for you to metagame for the 1K tournament than it would be for our regional championships because at a regional championships, there's just a wide array of decks. You have to, you know, metagame and deck build a lot more meticulously, especially at the top level. You know, you're really considering things just for like the day two field of, you know, what you're going to be playing against in day two. But when you're prepping for a 50 to 100 player tournament, like a lot of these 1Ks have been, you can make a lot more, you know, risky decisions. You know, you can play a deck that uh, would normally lose to a top deck, like Azul said. Um, or, I mean, my biggest tip to players playing at 1Ks would be to play a consistent list of a top deck. Because if you just play, like, a... Like, if you literally... If you are a really good player and you play Bruno's winning deck or you play even Natalie's winning Mew list, if you just show up with one of these decks... Uh, and you're a good player, you are probably going to make top eight at the tournament. Because in general, uh, compared to a regional field, a 1K field is going to be a lot softer, a lot easier to play against. And if you're just playing a good, consistent deck, your skill as a player will allow you to make a deep run and win some money at one of these tournaments. A softer playing field. I've never heard. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that. Really? <laughs> yeah, Chip just called y'all soft. Okay, yeah. <laughs> e easy, easy, easy. <laughs> no, just kidding. I mean, I'm unless you're kidding. playing against, like, you know, unless you have literally, like, Azul and Tord and Pedro and Stefan and <laughs> yeah, all no, those I mean, people that's, at your that's one true. you know. And that applies, to, that applies to anyone going to any of these events. Like, it's going to be a little bit of an easier field. Bringing a good deck... Um, can still be that first step um, to seeing success for sure. Just bring a good, 
good archetype with a good list, good solid list behind it. Don't have to get trying to get too cheeky or too cheesy. Um, and also you can, like I said, yeah, lo the local events do open it up so you can play some stuff that is a little bit more cheeky or a little bit more cheesy if you want to, but, you know, have an understanding for sure behind it of you're probably not playing the best deck in the room and, um, you know, just be fine with that. But of course, there's a lot less on the line, um, a lot, lot less uh, overall, you know, you're just going, who knows, 30 minutes down the road to your local game store to just go spend a, a day playing Pokemon and hang out with some friends, so... Um, don't have to take it quite as seriously for sure but uh yeah definitely cool to see a lot of them pop popping up i wish i had a little bit more time to get some of to get to some of the ones around here personally i haven't been to any of them there's been like two or three of them since i moved out to california but i haven't had a chance to get to any of them um but you know maybe some in the future for sure yeah i've got one coming up in a couple of weekends that i'm excited to go to and um there's actually two in my area one this weekend and one next weekend i can't go to the one this weekend but i'm definitely going to be planning to go to the one on the next weekend and you know maybe walk away with a little bit of money that would feel uh you're pretty good and that's what <laughs> you know it's just a nice way to be able to compete uh you know yeah. there's not a regional championships every single weekend and while this isn't the same level of competition uh that you get necessarily to regional championships it's still competitive pokemon and you're still playing for something um something else i love about this i don't remember if i said this or not already but like you know this is just a great chance for a lot of the newer players to be able to compete at a pokemon tournament because not everyone gets to a regionals every single year right you've got a lot of you know good like i know there's a lot of good solid players in my area who would probably see solid finishes if they could go to regionals who just because of work or because of family or travel constraints money constraints whatever it is they don't get to go to regional championships and so they show up and do really well at the local events and um you know that this is their competition so i i love 1ks for so many different reasons if you have 1ks happening in your area check your local stores see what they're doing try to go out show support and uh, you know get a little local competition uh and yeah yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that is going to do it for the cast this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you are listening on a podcasting platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever it may be, please be sure to leave us a rating as well as a review. It goes a long way. It only takes a second or two, and it really is a super easy and quick way to show your support for us. You can also check out the YouTube channel, and if you are watching this video version here on the YouTube, thank you guys so much for subscribing, for liking these videos, for sticking around. I've been experimenting with uh, posting some videos during the week as well. So if you want to just see little highlights from the podcast, if you don't catch the whole podcast necessarily, you just want to see little clips here and there, I've been messing around with putting those on the YouTube as well. So you can find the podcast on all social medias, YouTube, Twitter, and our TikTok as well. Haven't done too much with the TikTok yet, but I've got some ideas of what we're going to do moving forward. Um, so yeah, big thanks to everyone for showing their support. You can find us every single Tuesday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern time on your favorite podcasting platforms as well as here on YouTube. And good luck to anyone playing in any locals, any 1Ks, whatever is going on this weekend. Azul, any closing thoughts? No, that's going to do it for me, Chip. Uh, yeah, thanks all for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you next week. Peace.